0: is week seven of the 2023 college football season. This is the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the BSN Collegiate Network. I'm Kelly Ford, and with me as always is my co-host and friend, Zach King. Kinger, how are we doing this week?
1: We're doing great. Coming off another real solid weekend of college football. Can you believe some of these games, some of these endings? Throughout the board, all three slates delivered. We're full force in October football. And big weekend ahead, a lot of great matchups and One that I'm very excited to touch base on at the end here. I know it won't be featured in our discussions today, but our teams are playing each other this week. Ohio State on the road at Purdue. Some crazy things have happened at West Lafayette. So we've got a great slate ahead, and I'm looking forward to it once again.
0: It's not one of the feature games, Zach. Uh, As you mentioned, we will touch on it uh, later. I'm excited for that one. It is the Kelly Ford Bowl, as I like to call it, and Purdue has kind of had Ohio State's number in that one, as you mentioned.
1: I've been drumming up some thoughts over the last couple of days, and I think I've come up with a little side wager between you and me that I think I'm going to get you to bite on, or I hope I'm going to get you to bite on, uh, that I look forward to pr- proposing to you. And, and we'll see We'll see if you take the bait.
0: All right, King, that's a good teaser. We'll get to that one a little later in the episode. King, it is week seven. We are officially at the halfway point of the college football season. It's crazy. It feels like it just started. But, man, this is why we can't take Saturdays for granted. This is why we got to be tuned in. It's going to be over before we know it. We've got great games to talk about this week, King. And uh, to help us do that, we're bringing in a fun guest, a special guest, uh, someone who I have followed on X now for quite some time. He really knows his stuff uh, in the betting space, King. So I think you're really going to enjoy our guest. His name is Paul Stone. He's a college football expert. He won the 2011 Leroy's College Football Challenge and the 2013 Golden Nugget Friday Football Showdown, finished third place in the 2018 GN Ultimate Football Challenge. Paul, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show.
2: Hey, good to be on with both you gentlemen. I always love uh, talking college football and even more so with uh guys like yourself who share my love for the sport and uh, love for the art of handicapping. So I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to be on with you guys talking college football. Absolutely, Paul. We're excited to have you. Every single week we bring someone on. We, we make it usually
0: from you know the college football analytics space, the college football betting or handicapping space. So you certainly fit the bill. Uh, you're right up there with all these other guests that we've had. One of my favorite parts about the episodes, Paul, is letting the guests talk to us about themselves. So just Take it away here, Paul. Tell us about yourself. How would you get started in this space? What made you get started? Who's your favorite team? Why do you love college football? Just any way you want to take it. This is my favorite part of the episode. So the floor is yours.
2: Well, you know, I'm a former sports writer in a previous life. So I covered covered college football as a sports writer for many years. I've been to just about every major college football stadium you can think of either as a writer or as a fan. I've been to many as well. And I just always had an enjoyment and appreciation, first of all, not that I was real good at it because I never applied myself in school, but I always enjoyed mathematics uh, and had a love for, uh, you know, college football. So handicapping the sport, you know, at a serious level was a natural combination. I guess you might say of my love of mathematics, numbers and college football actually got started as a very young man. probably too young, but maybe late teens or 20, uh, a gentleman in our town who was older than us, he was a land man. He sold uh, mineral rights uh, uh, to property uh, in the Eastern part of Texas where I live. And he moved into our community and he was about probably seven or nine years older than we were. So at that stage of your life, when you're in your late teens, 20 years old, you know, considerably older, Uh, a little wiser in the ways of life. But he was a big sports gambler, big sports better. And he always talked about, uh, man, when you guys get old enough, when you turn 21, you need to go to Las Vegas, go to the Stardust. And uh, of course, that was about the first thing I did when I turned 21 was go to the Stardust. (laughs) And I still uh, have not recovered from the implosion of the Stardust back in 06 or 07. So that's a (laughs) a difficult uh, chapter, a dark chapter of my life that I'm still recovering from. But, you know, so I got kind of got introduced to betting uh, through this person who was older than myself, who just happened to be in our community. And we, shoved, you know, shared a love of uh, of college football and sports and betting and so forth and doing things we probably shouldn't have been doing. But uh, so I've been doing it for, uh, you know, over 30 years now. You know, primarily I handicapped college football and college basketball Uh, handicap some professional golf. You know, I mostly leave the other sports alone. You know, I think so many handicappers are what I call a jack of all sports, a master of none. So I leave – the, you know, I really leave the other sports alone for the most part. I mean, this past weekend, I didn't have a single bet on an NFL game. And I bet a lot lot of college football games, but I just don't really have a a knack for it or a taste for it. And at this stage of my sports betting career, I don't really – crave the action or need the action. So, uh, you know, that's probably a a good thing, but you indicated, you know, I had some success uh, in some handicapping contests out in Las Vegas, which, uh, you know, I don't know if you'd call it notoriety, but if you're in a certain small room with specific people, you know, that might carry some weight. So, uh, won a couple of contests finished in the top four and a couple of others. And, uh, you know, got, got a little bit of a reputation there. Just, just love the challenge of it. I mean, I uh, competed, uh, always loved sports, um, always played, um, you know, okay at some sports, not very good at others, competed as an adult in adventure racing. So I, I did that for, for many years throughout North America, trail races and long road races and things like that. So just always been very, very competitive and, um, you know, with sports handicapping you're never going to master it. I mean, if you can hit 54, 55% over a large sample size, you are a total expert. Uh, it's a very small room to accommodate the people who can do that over a large sample size. So you're never going to master it. You know, you're only going to get good at it and you'll always be looking for uh, for edges to get even better. So I just, you know, it's just, uh, it's a challenge. You know, I think all of us, if we get down to the core of it, we're competitors uh, and we like to compete. And this allows us to compete, and this allows us to stay involved in sports and close to sport, uh, with a little bit of a uh, you know a monetary component to it. So that you know that's a little bit about me, something that I do do and, and continue to do, uh, mostly at Circa in Las Vegas. I do bet opening college football numbers at market making books, so I get to bet uh, basically every week throughout the season, whether it be at Circa in Las Vegas, most typically, sometimes I go to Louisiana where they have a lot of operators that release very early Sunday morning as well. So I participate in that process and you're able to get some really good numbers by betting, you know, first. So that's a little bit about myself and how I got started and kind of where I am today. So I got to jump in, Paul, and say that your
1: explanation of sports handicap and sports betting in general, that's one of the purest descriptions I've ever heard. And what really rung home to me was the competitive aspect, because just like you, uh, myself and so many others in this industry grew up just evolved around sports, playing just about everything and and that ability to stay involved and week by week try and compete and, and show yourself you know the game. That 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 hit so far home with me and and I got a couple questions, but the, the first thing for me is is Kelly mentioned and you mentioned your success in these major contests. Consistency is the number one thing that sports handicappers are looking for. What would you say is the key to your consistency, you know, over these thirty years? What have what have you learned that's really put you in position to to finish at the upper echelon of these contests?
2: Well, you know, and I'm I don't you know Contests certainly uh, have bolstered my reputation, but I kind of pride myself on just, you know, c- consistency, uh, you know, as a sports better and just kind of surviving. And I know you're kind of framing it in that way as well. But the main thing I think that I have, uh, Zach, that maybe some people lack in the betting, sports betting space is just level headedness. You know, I don't, I don't get too high and I don't get too low. I try not to watch. Game. You can only watch so many games uh, at once and really pay them proper attention, no matter what type of media room you have or what type of setup you have or if you're in the sports book or whatever. So I try not to focus too much on the game when I'm watching games and kind of scouting games, quote unquote. I try not to watch games that I have action on, because if you're watching a game that you have action on, I think you become emotional the coach can't coach, the referees are cheating your team, and you don't really have a clear picture of what's happening. <laughs> if you don't have any money on a game, you can be more impartial, and you can uh, kind of take a, a, a pure – come at it from a pure viewpoint, if you will. So I think my level-headedness, I'm, I'm pretty calm. I don't get too high. I don't get too low. A uh, couple of years ago – I should know the year because it was a pretty uh, – Pretty rough day, but I went zero and nine in college football, and still hit fifty-five percent that year. And that was early in the year; that was like week three. It was in September, and really took a uh, you know a beating, and um, you know recovered from that. Those are tough to recover from. You know, it's tough to uh, you know it's tough to rebound from that type of a, of a losing weekend uh, because you're playing catch up and you feel pressure and you feel like you got to force selections and things like that so you know i just think the the ability to just kind of roll with the punches and just take the wins and the losses i'm not a chess pounder i'm not a guy that's going to be talking about how great i am i've had my backside handed to me too many times over the course of the past 30 years and you know we're talking about the competitive component of sports betting you know somebody wants to to really look stupid they should join us and do it Saturday after Saturday, because at some point you're going to look really dumb, and especially if you're out in the public uh, like we are, you know, where people are watching, you know. So you you just got to manage yourself and, uh, you know, try to stay relevant. The game is certainly changing. Uh, There's been a lot of changes uh, over the 30 years or so that I've handicapped college football, and a good statement or, or a true statement that I heard uh, and it, it applies to handicapping as well. But I think it was Mac Brown maybe said earlier this summer, there have been more changes in the last two years in college football than the previous 30 combined. And it, it just with the transfer portal and NIL and uh, all the, uh, the, you know, the things that are in motion in college sports, it's just a different uh, ball game. And it certainly plays a role in handicapping. And it makes handicapping college football even more difficult with the transfer portal. Cause you have teams like Colorado that are featuring 80 new players and South Florida has got 50 new players and it's just, you can make over a roster overnight. So I could go on and on, but we've only got so much time, but that's, that's a little bit of a, uh, you know, a look at, uh, you know, what I feel like maybe my, uh, perseverance where it lies.
0: Yeah, Paul, it's fantastic stuff. And when you the Mac Brown quote, um, I would say, and it's definitely applicable to college football, I'd say it's applicable to college athletics. I am a college athletics administrator, work at a conference office. Started there in 2017, and it was in 2020. Our former commissioner, the one who hired me, said, Kelly, we've undergone more changes in the college athletics enterprise in the last three years. This was during 2020, COVID, all that stuff. In the last three years, than we have in the previous, you know, forty that I've been in this industry. So we are living in a interesting time in the world of college athletics, the world of college football. A lot of challenges that are being presented that administrators, coaches, student athletes all need to solve together. So all of that's kind of the the, the bigger picture of this. To, to narrow in on what you said, Paul, I couldn't agree more. To to bu- to boil it all down to basically one common theme is, Paul, you're you're process oriented. You're you are process driven. You have a process, you stick by that, you refine it when it needs to be refined, but you're not overreacting to any one week, any one game, any one outcome. What you're doing from a handicapping standpoint, it's almost exactly the same as what I'm doing from the – predictive analytics and the modeling standpoint, and I know those are, those can be one and the same. I choose not to use my model specifically for handicapping purposes. I do put projected lines out there for every game and people out there do use them for those purposes. I don't since I work in college athletics, but everything you said there, it, it makes perfect sense to me why you have experienced success year in and year out over an extended period of time. Because you're process driven, you're process oriented. That's something I'm preaching every single day with the model. Another thing that you said, Paul, and, and seeing I'll let you jump back in because I know you've got you've got another one. I really appreciated what you said at the beginning, Paul, of in your opening statement about you kind of leave those other sports to other people. You don't want to be a jack of all trade, master of none. You focus on the area that you know well, that you have success in, and that you have the most interest in. You didn't have any NFL bets last week because there was nothing there for you, and you just let that be. You didn't force anything. I get it so much from people on social media. Kelly, when are you going to? I used to produce NFL numbers. Kelly, when are you going to go back to make NFL numbers? When are you going to start making college basketball numbers? When are you going to do these other sports? It's not my area of expertise. I might be interested in those things. But there's a lot of people already doing it. They're probably doing it really, really well. I don't want to force my way into those areas with a model that I'm not hundred percent sold on. Kelly, when are you going to publish your FCS ratings? It takes time to get to a point where you're comfortable doing that stuff. So I appreciated that maybe more than anything else is, Hey, focus on the things that you're good at, put your resources there, see where that takes you. And then try to build from there if, and when you can, and when it makes sense. So that's, that's my biggest takeaway from everything you said there, Paul. I absolutely love your process-oriented approach. It's awesome you've had success over the long haul, and I have no doubt you'll continue to have success regardless of the changes that we have coming in college football. But, King, I'll let you hop back in there.
1: Yeah, Paul said he's... You know, was in a position where he doesn't remember the the week he said where he went zero and nine or zero and eight, whatever he said. Paul, I'm in the very fortunate position where I can remember that that very clearly. That happened to me week one this year. I started off I think one and seven <laughs> or one and eight to start the year and. It's just been a mental battle just trying to claw my way back. Had a few good weeks. This last week kind of kicked me again when I was down, and this is just I want to unload on 15 games a weekend, but that's not the way I'm going to make it back. So the composure aspect, it's something I'm learning. I've gotten much better at it over my six years of doing this now, but nowhere near the level I need to be, and I still got a long way to go. But my last question, and Kelly might get on me, but you mentioned it, and I have to do it. This is a college football podcast. But you said something that you let do a handicap a little bit of golf. What's the what's the angle that you have on golf what 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 what's inspiring you or what's intriguing about that that makes you dabble in that space as well
2: well you know really this past season it was was difficult uh, get diff, get a difficult rather uh, golf season for me if i can get it out so uh you know that's one thing i've got to kind of look at my my process but i grew up playing golf and uh you know i play primarily matchups i don't bet into the uh outright pools because the theoretical hold is, is too high. In my opinion, it's not an advantage type play. So I primarily play matchups and just, uh, you know, I subscribe to a couple of, uh, websites, golfstats.com stats.com, and, and another one that put out some, some information that's useful in the handicapping process. But, uh, you know, you just, uh, you know, the basic things, just current, uh, current form and course history and, uh, those types of elements that go into handicapping golf. But I'm going to kind of take a look at my process in golf and look at my results. I think it's important that we examine ourselves and that we, uh, you know, see where we're, uh, you know, know where we're strong and and know where our weaknesses are and, uh, you know, know whether we should continue to do something if really our long-term goals to be, a long-term successful, you know, winning sports handicapper. So I'll certainly do that with my uh, with my golf. But I guess it's just because I have an interest in it. I think okay. for for people out there listening, you know, especially if you have an interest in a niche sport, um, you know, one of these markets that are that are smaller, um, you can really have an advantage uh, and no more than the line maker because the the line maker, the person making the numbers, might be responsible for you know, three or four sports at any particular time during the calendar year. And if you're just focusing on that one, you've got to overcome that 11 to 10, uh, burden and 11 is always bigger than 10. That's our biggest challenge. But at the same time, if you're working on it exclusively and working on it hard and understand it, you know, you can have an advantage. So, uh, but hopefully that answered your question at some level.
1: It did. I also have a love of golf that is my, my primary hobby, and I dabble on the weekends. I'm big after the Friday rounds heading into the weekend, betting a guy or two for the winner outright. So I was just interested to hear the matchups is, is something I, I'm very interested in learning more about. So it was a little bit one-off in the college sports, so I was just curious uh, what the inspiration was there.
0: Yeah, no. And, and I love it. He's talking there about refining his process. Once again, evaluating the model he's using or his approach to golf and evaluating. Is this something we want to continue doing? What tweaks do I need to make? If any at all, it's all about being process oriented. I can't stress that enough. King. you said Kelly might get on me for asking this, dude, you know, I broke into the, the writing, the sports writing scene through golf. I love me some golf. Oh, I, the, thing I, the only thing I get on you about King is is when you let your love of golf, both playing and watching, interfere (laughs) with your watching of college football on a Saturday. I am guilty of that
1: once or twice this year, and you know it.
0: It's a whole other thing. We don't even have time to get into all of it. That's where I'm going to get on you, though, King. Never for asking the questions about golf or trying to get Paul to divulge more about his golf process. Absolutely in for that. King, you and I live in the Midwest. Speaking of golf, I know you like to get out there. You probably don't have too much time left before the weather gets too cold, the courses get shut down. Paul splits his time between Las Vegas and Texas, so he might have a little bit uh, longer here in the golf season during the week, not on Saturdays, mind you. But, King, for those of us that live in the Midwest or colder places, you only got one or two more chances to get out there. And when you get out there, you need to make sure you're bundled up. Maybe put on a sweatshirt, put on a jacket. King, tell everyone, where can they get college-branded stuff jackets coats hats gloves where can they get their favorite college branded apparel
1: paul is just in a position that a lot of golfers just envy this time of year when we're about to shut down for six months he's still got access to it but you're absolutely right kelly it's a time of year you got to bundle up go get yourself some new team apparel at home field that's right premium vintage quality college apparel they're sponsored the variety sports network first time buyers get 15 percent off using code variety sports if you haven't checked it out go take a peek. Again, quality is there. They've got some really cool designs. It's perfect for this time of year. Go get yourself some new gear at home field.
0: All right, guys, we got our home field gear. We're ready to go out and play some golf before we get to Saturday. Once Saturday comes, week seven, college football, we got a big slate. We got four games we're going to break down here, including our fan pick of the week, uh, which I was... Not surprised by the results but maybe surprised by uh, what the poll the, the the margin of victory in the poll that'll be the last game we tackle first up is a game paul you asked for it i'm very excited that you did because i think this has the potential to be the best game of the week maybe one of the best games of the year it's certainly a massive game in the Pac-12 out there in your neck of the woods when you're spending time in Las Vegas. Paul, let's dive into first, Oregon at Washington. What do you make of this game? Who do you like and why?
2: Well, I mean, we've got currently, uh, this game's going to be played at uh, Husky Stadium there in Seattle on Saturday afternoon. And, you know, as, and as highly anticipated as last week's Texas-Oklahoma game was, and it indeed delivered, I think this game uh, between Washington and Oregon, you know, has the same type of possibilities. I mean, the build-up. you got two of the nation's top offenses here, both averaging over 40 points a game, both averaging over 500 yards offense a game. You've got two Heisman Trophy contending quarterbacks, I think it's fair to say, and Michael Penix Jr. for Washington, uh, Bo Nix uh, for Oregon. You've got one of the most scenic settings in all of college football there, nothing better than an autumn Saturday uh, at Husky Stadium overlooking uh, Lake Washington. So you just got all these elements of these teams, and certainly on top of that, I should add, you've got not only Pac-12 implications, but you have 14 college football playoff implications uh, resting on the outcome of this game. So just a lot of great elements and angles to look at here. Uh, You look, first of all, at the quarterbacks again. Michael Penix, Jr., he's thrown for 1,999 yards. He's completed 75% of his throws. A 16 to two touchdown to interception ratio, and uh, averaging over 11 yards per pass attempt. So just crazy numbers. But then you look at Bo Nix. He's done for 1,459 yards. Uh, he's got a TD to interception ratio of 15 to one, and he averages nine yards in an attempt. So two of the hottest uh, quarterbacks in all of college football, and obviously in this game, will come down to scoring touchdowns. I think field goals, uh, if you kick more than one of them, will probably be uh, your doomsday there. You need to score touchdowns. I look at this game, and one thing I look at is, and it's a small sample size, but this will be Oregon's third road game. Uh, last game out, they played at Stanford, uh, kind of came out of the gate slow, but they ended up uh, getting, uh, you know, getting hot and they steamrolled the Cardinal. I think they won that one 42 to six. But in week two, they go to Texas Tech, go to Lubbock. They trail that game uh, 27-18, rather, entering the fourth quarter. They rally. They kick the field goal, I think, from 34 yards, uh, final 70 or 80 seconds to take the lead, uh, end up getting a pick six there at the end, win the game 38-30. But Texas Tech, as good as they are, uh, certainly Washington poses more problems. That is just one game. But uh, bottom line, getting to my selection – Michael Penix, Jr., and those three receivers, uh, and they are getting Jalen McMillan back, one of their wide receivers who's missed the last two weeks. So they've got three big-time receivers that would be number one guys at most schools across the country. It's hard for defenses to match up with those guys uh, to get personnel on, on the field, again, to, uh, to properly uh, cover the personnel that uh, Washington can put on the field. So I think Washington's going to win this game. I like Washington uh, minus three over Oregon
0: kinger what about you this is a massive game in the pac-12
1: yeah like paul i'm just as excited for this as i was the red river shootout last week and he did a great job of setting the stage here we talk about the offensive firepower michael Penix, new heisman favorite by vegas odds i think he's sitting at plus 200 right now he mentioned jalen mcmillan coming back roma dunze is going to be healthy as well so getting two likely first round receivers back for the huskies that's a really good start for them this week and so you look at the oregon defense revamping that's been a focus. For Dan Lanning, I mentioned it, to it oh, previously on the podcast that physicality of the front seven on defense has been the problem for Oregon over the last couple of years. They've really played well this year thus far, haven't really played any serious competition. They let up over 30 to Texas Tech, but 10 points is the most that they have allowed in a game thus far this season. Again, they have not played a team as talented as Washington, but I like what they have going in the secondary here to at least make it challenging on those Washington receivers. And what concerns me a little bit is, is, Washington has not been great at running the football. Now they are a pass-oriented offense, but I think that you look at that Oregon defensive front, and I think they do have the ability to match up well versus Washington and slow down that offense a little bit. And so you you flip it over to the offensive side of the ball for Oregon. Bo Nixon, big games. He's had his fair share of question marks over the years. But I think this is the best Oregon offense. This is the best version that we've seen the last couple years. A really good offensive line for the Ducks. And I think that they are going to have some success running the ball. That Washington unit, they've been Solid as a whole against the run. They've not allowed a lot of explosive plays. The weakness there is the secondary. So I'm looking at this matchup, and I think if Bo Nix makes good decisions, I do think Oregon has the ability to win this game. I'm doing something a little bit different this week. I'm going to take Washington to win this game, but from the betting perspective, I like the Oregon Ducks to cover three. I'm covering myself a little bit. My gut tells me that Oregon has the talent to win this game, but Washington at home, I'm going to give them a slight edge in the pick them. So my pick officially is Washington, but I am going to bet Oregon this week.
0: I hate going last on big games because I feel like so many of my points have been taken. Uh, both Paul, you, and Kinger are uh, hitting on a lot of my points. I'll hammer a couple home. I'll add in a couple new ones. Guys, this game for me, it has a watchability score watchability score of 9.8. That's out of 10. It's my number one game of this week. It's my number six game of the entire regular season. It has the potential to be the game of the year in the Pac-12, especially with both these teams being well-rested coming off of their off weeks this past week. Let's start with the resumes before I get into the predictive stuff. I have Washington number 10 in my most deserving rankings. There's only a 39% chance that the average top 25 team would be 5-0 and against the Husky schedule. That's number 10 nationally. The Huskies are outscoring their opponents by 12.7 points per game more than would be expected of the average top 25 team against that schedule. That's number 4. Nationally, So a really strong resume so far for Washington. For Oregon, they're number 12 in my most deserving rankings. They have the number 14 record achievement and the number 2 relative scoring margin. They're outscoring their opponents by 15.4 points per game, more than would be expected. Only Oklahoma has a better mark through uh, six weeks of the college football season. The winner in this one is going to boost their resume that much more by collecting a win against a top 10 power-rated team. The loser won't be hurt too much in the most deserving rankings because the average top 25 team would not be expected to win this game either way um, more often than not. Predictably speaking, guys, I have this one as a pick 'em with the slightest of leans by the model to Oregon. I'm not necessarily saying that Kelly Ford, the person, would lean that way, but the K Ford ratings model does lean Oregon with a 52% win expectancy. These two teams are eerily similar, as you guys have touched on. They have amazing offenses led by Heisman-level quarterbacks with defenses that are much better than expected coming into the year. The Ducks are currently power-rated at a season-best 23.7. That's number six nationally. The offense has been in the top six all year and is currently number four, while the defense is up to a season-best number 18 in my unit rankings. The Huskies have been in the top 10 of the power ratings for the past month. They're currently number nine. The offense remains number two for the third consecutive week behind only conference foe USC, while the defense has been in the mid-20s for five weeks in a row. We've talked about it. Paul, you mentioned it in particular This game is in Seattle. It's in one of my favorite college football venues. I absolutely love when that siren is blasting. It gives me chills just thinking about it. And I am not a Washington fan. I'm not a Pac-12 fan necessarily. When that siren's going on third down, fourth down in that stadium – I get so pumped up for it. I cannot wait. It's a huge advantage for the dogs that they're at home in this one. Uh, It could very well come down to which offense has the ball last, guys. The winner of this game will certainly be in pole position to make the conference championship game. Oregon would have an 87% chance to make it, while Washington would have a 76% chance to make it to Las Vegas with a win. The loser will fall to third, behind the winner, of course, and USC, um, making the game against the Trojans for either of these teams all that much more important here in a couple weeks. Bottom line, I have this game as a pick'em with a 52% win expectancy for Oregon. Guys, that game's huge in the Pac-12. Kinger, you asked for arguably the biggest game of the entire year in the Big Ten West. So we're going to start with you. It's Iowa at Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, Kelly, I couldn't go another week without a Big Ten game. I just couldn't do it. And I know we're going to have Ohio State, Penn State next weekend. But after all the SEC love, I was thinking about actually just overriding everything and just going Purdue, Ohio State. But instead, we're going to give the listeners (laughs) Iowa, Wisconsin, which I know they're probably thrilled to hear about as well. But you mentioned it is a big game in the Big Ten West. And the winner of this game is likely going to be, we'll say, likely on track. To be the representative in the big 10 championship game and have the opportunity to get pummeled by either ohio state penn state or michigan but i want to start off give a quick shout out to kirk Ferentz. when he beat purdue last weekend at home he became the big Ten's third most winningest coach of all time behind woody hayes and bo schembeckler everybody knows that kirk is on the same, on the track to be remembered in the same category as those two for sure but i got to say that's a big achievement good to him and so you look at this over under it's 36 iowa or wisconsin's a 10 point favorite at home this is what we're going to get a typical ben, big 10 game it's going to probably be ugly it's going to be a defensive game and it is time that we bring one of these to the limelight on the pod so the batters have definitely the more complete team in this, but I do think that Iowa's going to find a way to keep it close with this defense. The matchup that I'm looking at in this one is the Wisconsin run game versus that Iowa defensive front. Badgers still have a top 20 rushing unit in the country, even without Chez Malusi. They still got Braylon Edwards. He's a very elusive back, and I think he is on track to have another solid game here. This Iowa defense, which has been so good against the run the last couple years, they've taken a little bit of a step back. They're allowing over 130 yards per game, still only three and a half yards per carry. But this is a Wisconsin team that obviously loves to grind you down in the run game, and I think we are going to be able to see them have some success in here. Iowa has a strong Secondary, though, they are good at creating takeaways and Wisconsin is not very good at throwing the football. They have no explosion in that passing game. So I do believe we're going to see a lot of running for the Wisconsin Badgers in typical fashion. We'll see if they're able to take control of this game, though. Now, flipping it around, though, like Iowa, the Badgers defense has taken a little bit of a step back this year, and and Iowa really does need all it can help on offense. You look at this Badgers defense, they come in with a sub-90 rated passing defense. If there was an opportunity for Deacon Hill and that offense to open it up a little bit, Brian Ferentz maybe make some play calls down the field, this is it. But Deacon Hill has really struggled. He hasn't been accurate. The production has not been there. So they haven't really had anything going in the run game. So what we're going to get from the Iowa Hawkeyes this weekend is kind of a toss-up as it is every weekend. So I think Iowa is going to be holding on for dear life in this one. But with this over/under, I don't, or with this total being as low as it is, and with these defenses, I don't think the Badgers, I don't think the Badgers blow them out. I am going to take Wisconsin to win, but I do think it's going to be closer than the spread indicates.
0: Braylon Allen there uh for the Braylon, Did I say Braylon Edwards? You, you did, and it actually King, you got oh. me going down you got me going down a Google rabbit hole over here. I kind of that's the out second time I,
1: I did Connor Cook for Brady Cook earlier this year, and then I did Braylon <laughs> Edwards instead of Braylon
0: Allen. Well, Dang All it. good. For two. Braylon Edwards, that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Man, it gives me uh nightmares as an Ohio State fan. That man could play for Michigan and then in the NFL. Uh no, King, I don't that is a good game to talk about. I'm excited you picked this one. Yeah, it's not the sexiest of all football games, but it's a very high leverage game in the Big Ten. These are teams that, you know, are still having a chance to make some some serious postseason noise in the New Year Six or potentially the CFP if they're able to get things figured out. This game, for me, it has a watchability score of 8.3. It's a top 10 game of the week. That's why I don't mind we're talking about it at all. Simply put, guys, the Big Ten West is on the line in Madison this weekend. And while Iowa has a better resume of these two teams to this point, My numbers have Wisconsin minus seven and a half in this one. It's a 70% win expectancy for the Badgers. With all the turnover that Wisconsin had with the roster and the coaching staff this past summer, I was, to be honest, a little bit concerned about the model's ability to accurately project the bagger- Badgers. However, after six weeks, it turns out all my concerns were really for not. Wisconsin's overall power rating rank of number 23, offensive rank of number 44, and defensive rank of number 14 are all within four spots of where we started in August. The model was actually pretty dialed in on a Wisconsin team that had a lot of uncertainty and a lot of turnover. The Badgers boast the best offense in the division and the second best defense, plus this game is at home. For Iowa, how many times can we say the same thing? It's a phenomenal defense and a horrible offense. They currently rank number two on the defensive side of the ball. They haven't been lower than number three nationally all year for me. The offense, on the other hand, they entered the year number 86. They rose to number 83 Prior to that game at Penn State, in which they got shut out, they have now fallen to a season low, number 122. Guys, that is a bottom 12 FBS level offense. It's a shame for this Iowa team and for their fans that the offense has been this dreadful for so long because the defense has been outstanding this year and in years past. Even still, with all of that, The Hawkeyes have a chance to make it to Indianapolis as my numbers favor them in each of their remaining games after this week, but they really need this win. The winner of this game will be the favorite to win the West. If it's Wisconsin, it's close to over, as the Badgers would have an 81% chance compared to just an 18% chance, which is what Iowa would have if they lose this game and then have lost the tiebreaker now to Wisconsin. If Iowa wins, they become the favorite at 55% chance to make it to Indy, but Wisconsin wouldn't be out of it. They'd have a 44% chance to recover and win the division By my numbers, bottom line, I have Wisconsin minus seven and a half. It's a 30% chance that Iowa comes out of Madison with the upset victory. Paul,
2: what do you make of this big game in the Big Ten West? Well, obviously, I mean, you guys touched on some of my points as well, but Iowa enters Camp Randall uh, playing its second string quarterback and riding a two-game winning streak, posting victories at home over Michigan State 26-16 and then this past weekend over Purdue, 20-14. to Uh, Those wins, however, somewhat misleading, and this is part of Kirk uh, Ferentz's formula. They're going to win the turnover battle year in and year out, Uh, but in those games, Michigan State and Purdue committed a total of six turnovers. Uh, The Hawkeyes, a collective plus three uh, in the turnover category in those games. It's been well chronicled, but again, uh, Iowa's, starting quarterback uh, Michigan transfer Cade McNamara hurt early in the Hawkeyes victory over uh, Michigan State uh, and that put back up Deacon Hill under center and he's been under center for the Hawkeyes uh, all but two series of the last two games uh, suffice it to say and uh, you guys touched on it but man he has uh, struggled under center in these last two games and struggled mightily Uh, The defenses of Michigan State and Purdue, they should not be confused with the 1985 Chicago Bears. (laughs) But nonetheless, Deacon Hill, 17 of 48 in those two games, just 35% for 225 yards, just 4.7 yards per pass attempt, uh, two touchdowns and two interceptions. So, It's really been tough there, Uh, the quarterback play they're getting with McNamara uh, now injured and out for the year. They're getting uh, 10 points there at Camp Randall. You look at uh, Iowa and you kind of think getting double digits, being a defensive-minded team with a defensive-minded coach, they're probably pretty good getting double digits, and it is a small sample size, but since getting blown out uh, by Michigan, 42-3, to In the 2021 Big Ten Championship game, a Michigan team that ironically was quarterbacked by Cade McNamara, Iowa now zero and four against the spread their last four games as a double-digit dog. I think Wisconsin's going to beat them by more than ten. You've got an Iowa offense averaging only 12.1 points per game, and that's a schedule currently only ranked uh, 40th by my model, so not a hugely difficult schedule. Not a huge position for me, but I like uh, Wisconsin minus 10 over the Hawkeyes.
0: All right. Well, there you have it for the Big Ten West biggest game of the season. Lots on the line in Camp Randall this week. Guys, we're going to turn our attention now to a non-conference game. We don't have nearly as many of these this time of year, but anytime we're talking Notre Dame, of course, that's what we're talking about. I'll take this one first. It's a game I asked for. And man, what a difference a week makes. Less than seven days ago, Notre Dame and USC were both AP top 10 teams on a collision course in South Bend. Then the Irish got run off the field in the second half at Louisville. USC needed three overtimes to beat a middling Arizona team in the Coliseum. Despite the poor performances a week ago, these teams are still ranked in my most deserving metric. I have USC number 15, I have Notre Dame number 22. And with a watchability score of 9.4, this is still the second best game of the week for me by that metric. Right off the top, we need to mention that this is the eighth game in eight weeks for Notre Dame, including a trip to Ireland, and the Irish are coming off consecutive road trips to Duke and Louisville. That's an absolutely brutal schedule. Notre Dame has been power rated number 10 and between number 10 and number 13 for me all year. They're currently at number 13. The Irish have the number 17 offense and the number 12 defense. My numbers favor the Irish in every remaining regular season game and assign a 23% chance that Notre Dame finishes the regular season at 10-2. and two. With their CFP hopes all but gone, though, what better way to pull themselves back up than dealing a huge blow to the playoff chances of one of their chief rivals, For those that have seen Breaking Bad, guys, there's a gif of Jesse. He's just screaming kind of up in the air, really to no one in particular. He's like, he can't keep getting away with it, talking about Walter White. That's exactly how I felt every time I've watched USC the past two years, guys. From the turnover luck last year to the close calls already this year against subpar competition, this defense simply cannot keep getting away with it. During the Iowa-Wisconsin preview, I asked how many times we could say the same things about Iowa. The same thing applies to USC, but the roles are reversed. The sides of the balls are different. The Trojan offense has been number one for me since week two after coming into the year number two. But after topping out at number four overall in the power ratings going into week four, the Trojans have fallen to a season-low number 14, and that's because this defense is ranked number 63. How many times are we going to see this defense miss tackles, miss assignments, give up big plays, give up a ton of points, and USC still finds a way to pull it out? At some point, this defense is going to cost the Trojans. It very might well be this weekend in South Bend. Bottom line, I have Notre Dame minus 2.5. It's a 43% chance that USC moves to 7-0 and oh on the year Paul, what do you think about this game? Massive rivalry. It's huge. Remnants of the Bush push just a couple weeks ago as Ohio State beats Notre Dame on a last second. All that's coming back. The Trojans are coming to South Bend. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean, you you opened with a great point, Kelly. The fact that Notre Dame's schedule, uh, starting with the trip to, to Dublin, uh, Ireland in week zero, it has been a, a brutal stretch of, of eight straight weeks. They've played three straight games where they've really – expended what I call a, a large degree of collective team psyche, a lot of physical and mental energy. So that's weighing on them. So uh, that, that's certainly an element that has to be considered strongly in the handicap of this game. You've got a Southern Cal team that comes in undefeated, uh, although they did have a close call last week uh, against Arizona, their playoff hopes still intact. On the other sideline, you've got a two-loss Notre Dame team that is almost certainly eliminated from playoff consideration. Uh, And as you mentioned, off that disappointing 33-20 defeat at uh, Louisville, uh, capping that three-game stretch, again, of really hard-fought games. Their offensive coordinator, Gerard Parker, there's a lot of negative uh, commentary among Notre Dame fans about whether he was the right man for the job uh, appointed in the offseason by second year head coach Marcus Freeman. So you've got a lot of uh, controversy swirling around the program, but that's college football. So what's new, but that that's certainly something going on uh, as well. And while the the Trojans, as I talked about a short time ago, while they remain undefeated and squarely in the playoff hunt, they've clearly, as you mentioned, uh, showed signs of vulnerability in recent weeks. Uh, especially this past week at home where they fall behind 17-0, to rallied to beat uh, the Wildcats in triple overtime, 43-41. to What it comes down to me and what I really like in this game favoring Notre Dame is that prior to facing USC, and I'm going to talk about the USC-Arizona game, prior to facing USC, Arizona had played three Power 5 schools this year, Mississippi State, Stanford, and Washington. In those three games, they had failed to rush for 145 yards in any of those games. They had failed to average four yards per carry in any of those games. They had averaged a collective 3.7 yards per carry in, in those three games. But then they get to play USC, and they rush for 203 yards. They average almost five yards a carry. Uh, and unheralded Jonah Coleman goes off for 143 yards. So to me, when you put the fundal, fundamental or other handicapping uh, application to it, what does Notre Dame's Aldrich Estime do against this USC defense? He is 230 pounds. He's not going to be in a good mood. The Irish will not be in a good mood. They're coming off their worst performance of the year. I mean, he's one of the nation's – Top running backs in in the country without question, 692 yards rushing, 6.6 yards per carry. And I think he's going to have a huge day uh, against the Trojans. The Irish, they're just going to pound the rock with SMA. They're going to soften them up. Um, Another thing that I like about Notre Dame from a fundamental handicapping standpoint on defense, they're certainly not going to slow down and limit uh, reigning Heisman Trophy winner Caleb Williams and that host of receivers and other offensive standouts. But the Irish do have a pretty top notch cornerback tandem in Cam Hart and Benjamin uh, Morrison. They match up with the Trojans, <coughs> excuse me, better than most teams do. And it's still four days out as we record on, on Tuesday, October 10th, four days from the game. Uh, but the weather forecast there in South Bend right now 50% chance of rain Saturday night, but more importantly, 10 to 20 mile per hour winds. That would certainly, if that wind, Uh, Speed comes to fruition, would uh, bode well for the Irish. So take Notre Dame, minus two and a half, over Southern Cal.
0: Kinger, what do you make about this one? USC, Notre Dame.
2: Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to to this, to be honest.
1: Not going to repeat a whole lot of talking points about the USC defense. It is true. Arizona really ran all over them last week. And you look at this Notre Dame team, they've been very successful. They started the season pretty successful on offense. They've they've had a couple of lull weeks. They're coming off a season-low 44 rush yards last week. Sam Hartman didn't play well. And I agree with Paul. This is a team that's going to be angry. This is going to be hungry. And I like that this is a, a perfect matchup for that Notre Dame offensive line to establish some dominance and really take control of the game. I think if they get the run game going, which I believe they're going to be able to do against USC, Hartman's going to come back to more of his normal form this week. There's not really a whole lot in that USC defense at any level that really is a strength. So I like Notre Dame in that matchup. And and flipping it around, to complement what Paul said again, is ready. That Notre Dame defense, particularly that secondary, I think they are good enough to cause some problems in this game. They showed that they have talent. They played well against an Ohio State team in that offense. So I like Freeman's ability to put these guys in a good position to win this week. And USC has such good skill position players. They're going to get their fair share of of big plays. But this is still what I believe a top five, top ten Notre Dame secondary here. And if they can just do a good job of containing Caleb Williams, that's much easier said than done. He's so good at scrambling and extending plays. But I noticed he does have a tendency to hold the ball at times. And they can put the USC USC offense in some troubles. He's so good. He's so elusive. But if they can find a way to keep him in that pocket and try and limit some of that mobility, I really like the Irish defense in this one. So I'm not sure if this is a game that I'm going to bet. I do lean Notre Dame with this one as well. But I don't think they're going to lose another big game at home. I like the Irish as well.
0: All right, guys, we got one game left in our feature segment. It is the fans pick of the week. We put out four games that weren't already on the card to discuss. This is the one that garnered the most votes. It is Texas A&M at Tennessee. Paul, as our guest, we're going to let you break this one down first. What do you think here? We got a cross-divisional game in the SEC. Texas A&M hitting the road to Knoxville.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, from my perspective, uh, Kelly, this is a difficult handicap because, you know, we're here approaching mid-October, uh, and we really don't know, at least I don't, I don't know who either of these teams are to this point. You know, Texas A&M, their biggest uh, test to date at Miami, Florida, and then this past Saturday at home at Kyle Field against Alabama, they have, uh, I guess you would say, failed both those tests. And then Tennessee, and their most difficult test of the year, a trip to Florida, you know, they lost that game 29-16 uh, in, in week three. And that was a game that the volunteers were just thoroughly outplayed. Uh, so, you know, in my opinion, when I kind of look at it in summation, um, I just don't know who these teams are. Neither one of these teams have a win over anybody currently ranked in the top 30 in the uh, current uh, Sagarin rankings. You look at Tennessee, the volunteers clearly not the same uh, level offensively as they were last year. Not that that's a fair comparison because last year they led the nation in scoring 44.5 points per game uh, in total offense, a little over 511 yards per game. But uh, they're, they're really not anywhere near that point uh, to this point in the season. I heard a, a interesting stat, uh pass plays of 20 yards or more, and this was before last weekend, but uh, Pass plays of 20 yards or more in the Southeastern Conference among the 14 teams, Tennessee was last. So they had the fewest of any team in the conference. So, you know, although they do run the ball a lot out of that offense, although people kind of think of it as a passing offense, they still uh, are accustomed to a lot of explosive plays uh, in the pass game. But Joe Milton, uh, he's been good but not great. He's already thrown more interceptions, three uh, than Hendon Hooker threw all year last year. Uh, only throwing two, and also Milton only averaging 7.3 yards per attempt. Uh, Hooker last year, more than two yards better at 9.5 yards. And, again, it's not comparing apples to apples, and I understand that because Jalen Hyatt, he was a vertical field stretcher for uh, Tennessee last year, just a big-time receiver. And now the Vols have even lost their top receiver, Brew McCoy, who's out for the year, lost him in week five. So he's out with injuries. So their receiving core – uh, even further diminished. To me, AM, you look at that program, I'm here nearby uh, Bryan College Station. You know, they just seem to have a culture problem uh, under Jimbo Fisher, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with Coach Fisher's uh, future following this season. But they've had four straight top 10 recruiting classes, including a consensus number one back in 2022, yet they're only eight and 11. In their last 19 SEC games, so again, just uh, a lot of talk about this game and a lot of interest in it. I just don't have an opinion because I just don't have a clear picture uh, of where either of these teams are right now, and uh, you know where they're going. So this will be a this will be a hard pass for me. Zach, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with Paul on that, and I mean you look at a And was on the show last week talking about this a And M defense, and they come out and, and really get exposed that secondary in particular and let what we thought to be not a very good, sound Alabama offense, moved the ball pretty regular on, regularly on them last week. And so I do think we are going to get a little bit better performance on the defense, defensive side of the ball from the Aggies this week, but I'm not sure really how big that bounce pack is going to be. It is going to be a tough game for them having to play Tennessee on the road, and, and, and Tennessee does have a lot of weapons. They have been really efficient at running the ball this year, so I look at that matchup versus that AM front and see if Tennessee is going to be able to continue a lot of the success that they've had. Thus far this year. Paul mentioned Joe Milton. He's not putting up insane numbers, but that dual threat does make him very difficult to scheme for. And Tennessee has been struggling to. St- to stretch the ball vertically. There is no other way to phrase that. They have struggled with the deep ball. AM has been very good at preventing the deep throws this year. So I think what we're going to see from AM is we're going to see a lot of loaded box this week, a lot of heavy boxes, let Milton try and beat them with the limited, banged up receiving core, try and beat them down the field, which they haven't shown they've had a lot of success this year. So I think the AM defense is going to have to carry. I think Tennessee's defense is good, not great, but I really do struggle to trust Max Johnson this one. He is a veteran. I think he does have the ability to win you some SEC games, but he's not a guy you can put the game on his shoulders. And AM has been very good at running the ball up until that kind of buzz saw they ran into versus Alabama last week. You look at this Tennessee defense, barely top 40 against the run. I think a going to have to get the run game going. And you look at this Tennessee secondary. They haven't made the biggest jumps in the country this year compared to last year. They have not had a ton of takeaways. Max Johnson might give them the opportunity this week. So, like Paul, I don't. I'm, I'm not going to bet this game, but I don't trust AnM and the culture. And ultimately, I think Tennessee at home is going to do enough to win this game. It could potentially be a blowout, but I'm absolutely not going to bet on that. I'd like the Volunteers pretty comfortably to win in this one, though.
0: I agree with both of you on this in the sense that we're not entirely sure who these teams are. But I have to say, guys, if we're looking at preseason projections versus current, what has changed for me? Let's talk about Tennessee. They came into the year with a K-Ford power rating of number 11. They're currently number 15. The offense was projecting number three, probably a little ambitious. They're currently number 15. The defense was 35. Now they're 23. Preseason projected win total in the regular season, 8.6. It's currently 8.5. For Texas A&M, they came into the year power rated number 16. They're currently number 16. The offense, I had questions about. It's worked out pretty well so far. I had them number 49. They're now number 25. The defense, I expected a lot from. They were number four. They're currently number 10, so falling a little bit, not a ton. Preseason, uh, regular season win total projection, 7.7. It currently stands at 7.8. So both of these teams are kind of right where they started with regard to the power ratings, the unit rankings, and their regular season win total projections. So to me, I agree we still need to see more. We need to see them win a big game because neither one of them has really done that yet. My number's like Tennessee by two and a half. It's a 58% win expectancy for the volunteers. I mentioned the power ratings. I have Tennessee number 15. I have Texas A&M number 16. The fact that it's at Tennessee, that right there is basically the difference. You know, Almost two and a half points for for home field advantage. That's what it is. Both of these teams from a resume ranking, A&M's number 30, Tennessee's number 33. The winner of this game is going to vault up into the top 25, maybe even the top 20 of my most deserving rankings because it's going to be a top 15, top 20 power-rated win. That's going to carry some weight. So someone's going to be in a good position here. If we look at the conference SEC conference championship game leverage graphic that I'm putting out now on a weekly basis for all the conferences, neither one of these teams is the favorite in their division. That's Georgia. That's Alabama. They Both these teams need a win, though, to stay in the conversation. Tennessee, if they win, have a 9% chance to make it to Atlanta. With a loss, it drops to 2%. It's essentially done for them. A&M, same thing. With a win, it goes to 8%. With a loss, it drops to less than 1%. So for any chance to make it to Atlanta, it's a long shot either way. This is a must-win game for both of these teams. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, It's it's a top-five game for me uh, of of the entire week. So I think it's going to be good. I agree. We don't really know what these teams are. One of these teams is going to get a big win. Tennessee, I like the spot they're in. They were off last week. Now they got AM coming to them. AM had to play against Alabama last week. Now they're going on the road. Tennessee, I hope they're not looking ahead. I don't think they will be, but they do have Alabama on the road, Kentucky on the road. That's their next two weeks while AM is going into a bye week. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about it from a K-4 rating standpoint. Tennessee minus two and a half. 42% chance that AM gets the win on the road and improves to 3-1 and in conference play. They would need to hope that Alabama drops at least a game, maybe two, uh, depending on how tiebreakers fall there if they have a three-way tie. All right, guys, that is a, that's the feature game segment. We are now going to jump over to the ESPN Pick'Em competition. King, I have to say, man, the model caught fire. A lot of people had a down week last week. The model did not. I'm up to number three in the standings. We got a group of 130-ish people. Started out not so great. It's improving. We're in a good spot. Trust the model, King. That's what I keep saying. We talked about trust the process earlier. Trust the model. All right, guys. Ten games. Kelly. Uh, Paul, yeah. King, this is the
1: opportunity. I just want to bring this to fruition right now. The mo- you killed it last week. You're you're you've separated yourself pretty significantly from me. I'm feeling the the heat. I got to bounce back. Unfortunately, I think that the highest spread in the pick-em this week is like four and a half. So they're not doing, dude. Like, I know they're not doing us any favors at all. But here's my here's my projected wager to you that I want to hear on. So again. Purdue is a believe a 19 or 20 point underdog this week. We don't stand much of a chance. I don't think it versus Ohio State at home. I think that offensive line is going to get wrecked by that Ohio State defensive front. I don't think there's going to be a lot of points scored by Purdue in this one and we'll see if Walters can scheme up a good enough defense to slow down that offense with that secondary. I'm very worried, right? Ohio State should win this game 95-96 out of 100 times. So here's my wager to you, Kelly. If Purdue, I am not even asking for the spread. If Purdue beats Ohio State at home outright this weekend, you have to pick one game in the confidence pool with your heart against the model the rest of year. You have to, you have to, you have to ditch the model for one game. All I am asking is one, but you have to ditch the model for one game if Purdue beats Ohio State straight up this weekend.
0: That's one game every week. King no, one game the rest is the- of- one
1: game the rest of the season.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha. Okay. I'm not going to lie. I got a little nervous at the beginning. No, you no. I, I, you I, I, you, you, you I, I had a wager, and I'm like, uh, I, well, I no. Their... I, you just put the sports betting thing, right? Um, so yeah. uh, since but. I can't do that. Oh, yeah. For this one, for sure. If Ohio State loses this game as a 20-plus – I don't even know what the biggest spread is. My number is Ohio State minus 23, 95% chance to win. If Ohio State loses this game to Purdue, I think that's fair, King. I will, for at one time during the rest of this year, pick a game – against the model, and go with my gut on something. And yes, I think that's fair. I do have to say, King, for this Ohio State-Purdue game, I know we're not breaking it down. I know where it's not even a part of the pick It's interesting, though. The average fan might think, oh, it's Ohio State-Purdue. It's an easy win for Ohio State. Just really quickly here, and I know we got a lot of Purdue listeners because of you know, where we came from and all that stuff, but the truth is the Boilermakers have given the Buckeyes fits recently, especially in West Lafayette. Purdue's won three of the last four in ross and five of the last eight against Ohio State King, including that 2011 game. You and I were freshmen. We're pledging Fiji. I'm over there in the stadium with all you guys in the student section, the Purdue student section, decked out in Ohio State gear, head to toe. Some of the older guys in the house see that. It doesn't end well for me there. It doesn't end well for me on the field either. As Purdue ends up winning that game in overtime, storms the field, I put my head down, walk back to my dorm like a loser because my team did lose. And yeah, King, that next time we went to the house for cleaning, uh, it wasn't good for me. It's okay, though. I think long term we might have gained some respect from folks. Short term, uh, woof. So yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair wager. I can deal with that one. All
1: right, cool. Let's dive into the pick'em.
0: All right. Here we go, guys. Uh, Paul, we'll start with you. Then we'll go to King. Then we'll get to me. I'll keep track on the scorecard here that we'll post later on X. First game, we are going to the Sun Belt. It is Georgia Southern at James Madison. Paul, straight up. No spread here. Straight up. Who wins this game and how many confidence points? One to 10. 10 is your most confident. One's your least. We use every
2: number once. Right. Okay. Hopefully I'll do this correctly. I'm going to just make short uh, points here. The Dukes obviously undefeated at 5-0. and zero. Uh, I made James Madison actually a uh, seven-point favorite in this game. It's by far my biggest discrepancy uh, of these 10 games. So James Madison is my selection and I give it a confidence rating of 10. All right, Kinger
1: wow, I'm going opposite spectrum, complete uh, different results as what I've had the last couple weeks. I'm taking Georgia Southern for one confidence point.
0: All right, I got to break the tie here. I am going to go James Madison, and I'm kind of on the more confident side too uh, with Paul here. Give me James Madison for seven confidence points. Guys, we broke down this game already. It is Oregon at Washington. Paul, who's your straight up winner and how many points?
2: My straight-up winner is going to be uh, the Washington Huskies, and as you said, we broke it down. I have a confidence ranking in that game of four. Kinger?
1: I'm taking Washington for three.
0: King, this would be, if I were to lose our friendly wager on Ohio State Purdue, this would be potentially a game that I'd go with Kelly Ford the person, not Kay Ford Ratings the model. I went with the model with Oklahoma. It worked out okay. I'm doing it again here. I'm taking Oregon, and like Oklahoma-Texas last week, I'm taking Oregon for one confidence points. Guys, I cannot wait for this game. It's absolutely going to be phenomenal. The next game, also a game we broke down. It was the fans pick of the week. It's Texas A&M at Tennessee, Paul.
2: Yeah, this is a game, you know, again, uh, it's a head-scratcher for me, but I'm going to pick the Volunteers largely because they are at home at Nayland Stadium Confidence rank of three on Tennessee. Kinger?
1: I have Tennessee for five.
0: All right. I'm going to keep the trend here, Tennessee, and I'll up it even more. I'm going to take Tennessee for six confidence points in this game. We did not talk about this one. It's in the Big 12. We have the Kansas Jayhawks having another great year under Lance Leipold, going on the road to Oklahoma State. Paul, what do you think here?
2: I'm going go against the grain here a little bit. I'm going to take they really played well last week, obviously, in beating Kansas State at home in Stillwater. I'm going to take the small underdog, Oklahoma State Cowboys, a confidence rating of two. Okay, okay, King, you hopping on that one as well?
1: No, I like the Jayhawks in this one. I think Oklahoma State's going to score, but uh, I think Kansas is more built for a shootout than this. I still like the offense, so I'm a little high, higher on them. I got the Jayhawks for seven.
0: All right, I got to break the tie here. I'm going to go with the model per usual. I've got Kansas with three confidence points in this one. Guys, let's go back to the Sun Belt. We've got Marshall
2: going on the road to Georgia State, Paul. Yeah, this is a game that, uh, you know, opened right around pick. I actually made Marshall a one point favorite. So I'm going to go with the Marshall Thundering Herd but a confidence ranking only of one. All right, Kinger?
1: I'm on Marshall for two in this one. I think their defense is the is what separates them versus that Georgia State offense.
0: I'm going to make it a clean sweep with Marshall. I'm also going to go two confidence points, same as King. So we're all on Marshall for a combined five confidence points. That should be a very close and entertaining game in the Sun Belt East. Guys, here's a game we broke down in the featured section. It's USC going on the road to Notre Dame, Paul. Outright winner. And how many points?
2: Yeah, this is one of the games I I like this week. I like uh, Notre Dame minus the two and a half. So I certainly like Notre Dame in the confidence pool with a ranking of five. All right, Kinger. Notre Dame for six.
0: I am going to join you guys on Notre Dame, a little bit less confident than each of you. Give me the Irish with four confidence points. Guys, this game, I mean, we can't bring it up without mentioning the elephant in the room. It's Miami going on the road to North Carolina. I'll be honest, I have no idea how Miami players, coaches, fans can pull themselves up after what we saw last week. I can't believe it. A kneel and you win situation. Mario Cristobal doesn't call that. They end up losing the game to Georgia Tech. Their perfect season goes with it. Guys had to be tough in Coral Gables this week for Miami. Paul, who do you like in this one and how many confidence points?
2: Yeah, I mean, like you, Kelly, I just have no idea where this team psyche for the the Miami Florida Hurricanes is going to be as they travel to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and improved defense. uh, One of the best quarterbacks in the nation in Drake May. I've got North Carolina with a confidence rating of eight. All right, King.
1: I think Miami mentally is going to be in shambles, and I think it's going to be tough for them to get up this week. So I really like North Carolina at home. I got the Tar Heels for nine confidence points.
0: I'm with you guys. I'm taking North Carolina. I'm taking them for nine. It's not that I don't have Miami power-rated well. I do. But, man, that mental state, as King, you mentioned. Paul, you said it too. That's just really tough. Give me Carolina for nine confidence points. SEC East showdown. We've got Missouri going on the road to Kentucky, Paul.
2: Yeah, this is a, uh, a tight line. I think Kentucky favored by two and a half. Kentucky coming off of 51-13 uh, pasting at the hands of two-time defending national champion Georgia. I have got the Kentucky Wildcats with a confidence rating of nine. All right, King.
1: My head actually tells me I like Missouri in this one, but there's something about this game. Kentucky coming back at home with their ability to run the ball. I think that they find a way to take control of this game. So the little lower than, than Paul, but I've, all, I've got the Wildcats for four.
0: I'll join you guys on Kentucky. I'll be in between you on the confidence points. I'm taking the Wildcats for five. Going back out to the Pac-12, kind of a sleeper game here, or sleeper contenders, I should say. You know who the main contenders are in the Pac-12. You've got Oregon, you've got Washington, you've got USC. If someone's going to make a run to Las Vegas outside of those three teams, it's probably going to be the winner of this game. It's UCLA at Oregon State, Paul. What do you got here?
2: Yeah, I mean, UCLA's defense, I don't think anybody, maybe, maybe you guys did. I know I didn't. But in my preseason preparation, I did not have UCLA's defense performing anywhere near the level that they have to this point in the year. But with that said, I just think Oregon State uh, at home, Jonathan Smith, really like him as a head coach. I've got the Beavers, uh, Oregon State to beat UCLA, Oregon State confidence level of seven. Kinger?
1: Yeah, I like this Oregon State offensive line too much. And as impressive as UCLA has been on the defensive front, I think they're going to struggle to contain them. I don't know that Dante Moore on another true road game, I don't know if he's going to be able to perform the way that they need him to win this. So I'm, I'm taking Oregon State, and they're my 10 banger this week. I got them for 10.
0: One of my favorite things about having the dashboards up on the website is I can easily look something up. Like Paul just said, hey, I don't know what you guys had in the preseason. I didn't have this. Paul, I just looked it up real quick. UCLA's defense coming into the year for me, Power rating rank of 66. They are now all the way up to number 11. One of the best improvements on the defensive side of the ball from preseason expectations to actual performance. I've absolutely loved what I've seen from this UCLA defense. With that in mind, I'm still taking Oregon State and I'm taking the Beavers for eight confidence points. Guys, it's our final game of the pick We're going to the ACC. NC State. Not a far trip for the Wolf Pack. They are going to Durham to play Duke. Paul, what do you think here?
2: Yeah, I mean, um, Duke quarterback Riley Leonard, looks like there's a chance that he returns from that ankle injury uh, suffered a couple of weeks ago against Notre Dame. For North Carolina State in this rivalry, this is not Dave Doran's uh, best addition by any stretch of the imagination. Give me the Blue Devils a confidence rating of six. Kinger?
1: Yeah, North Carolina State defense played a little bit better the last couple weeks, but as a unit here and still not sold on them, Duke's going to be too much at home. So I got the Blue Devils for eight.
0: All right, guys, and I am going to join you on Duke. I have not used my 10-pointer yet. This is where I'm placing it. Give me Duke For 10. We'll get this scorecard posted on Friday, the day after this episode will drop, and we will see who has the best picks of week seven in the ESPN competition here. Guys, we can't finish without talking about some best bets. I'm very excited, Paul, to hear what you have on tap. But first, as always, King, let's hear it. You mentioned, you know, week one didn't go as you wanted. We've been trending up since then. What are we going with this week to get going uh, back towards our winning ways?
1: Yeah, we got to start trending up again because we took a little bit of a nosedive again last weekend. And to be honest, this might be a great fade Kinger week. That's been a, some, some getting some traction on, on Twitter from some of my buddies. And to be honest, based on what Paul said thus far, it seems like we're going to be on opposite side of lines on a few of them. So I've got four plays in this week. I picked them in the pick them as my number one game, but I like Georgia Southern plus three and a half at JMU this week. I think that offense is going to be the best that JMU's faced, and I I like Georgia Southern to – this is a top 20 unit in the country. I, I like them to keep it close in that game. I'm also on Iowa plus 10. I think that defense is going to do enough to keep it close with that low total, that low over-under, as I mentioned. I'm going to take the Ducks plus three. My head tells me they win that game, but I did go Washington with the pick I think that offense is going to find a way to get it done on the road. In the last game, West Virginia, pleasantly surprising team. They continue to trend in a good direction in the Big 12. They're laying two and a half on the road to what I don't think is a very good Houston team. I like that defense in this one. I think the Mountaineers find a way to get it done uh, this week as well. So Those are my four initial plays. Card to be expanded.
0: Kinger, for what it's worth, I just quickly looked on the dashboards. My numbers are in agreement with you, not by much in some cases, but given the lines that are out there, my projected spread would be on your side of each of those bets.
1: Wow, that might be the first time that that's ever happened, too.
0: (laughs) It could be a good week here. Let's see how we get it done. Paul, let's get your best bets. Anything that you're willing and able to share, I'm sure the listeners would be very interested. I know I am.
2: Um, I'll go ahead and and put uh, three selections out there, bets that I've actually made. And we've talked about Notre Dame uh, already pretty extensively. I like Notre Dame minus two-and-a-half over Southern Cal Saturday night in South Bend. Uh, And then going uh, to the American Athletic Conference, South Florida hosting Florida Atlantic. Just really like the job that South Florida head coach uh, Alex uh, Golich has done to this point uh, there in Tampa took over a team that, that lost a lot of players, lost their two best receivers, Xavier uh, Weaver and Jimmy Horn, Jr., uh, now playing for Coach Prime in Boulder. Their top running back, Brian Battee, goes to uh, Auburn. So just lost a lot of talent. He's got 50 new players there. If you extract that Alabama game, because they're really punching up in class playing the Tide, but in the other five games, South Florida's averaged 36.6 points per game. So, I like the South Florida offense headed by uh, dual threat quarterback Byron Brown. They're off a disappointing 56 uh, 35 defeat at UAB. Florida Atlantic, meanwhile, beat uh, Tulsa at home 2017 in their opener. I like South Florida minus two, <coughs> excuse me, over Florida Atlantic. And then the Big 12, going to look at a total here. <coughs> excuse me, uh, BYU uh, versus TCU uh, there in Fort Worth. Uh, much like the uh, projection at this point uh, for wind, Fort Worth shows uh, 10 to 20 miles per hour uh, Saturday afternoon in Fort Worth, so that could uh, cause a little havoc on the offenses there. But I made this total again. The total right now, 53 and a half, I believe. I made this total 51 and a half, and that was before learning that starting quarterback Chandler Morris would not be playing for the Horn Frogs. He, in fact, is going to miss multiple games. Their backup quarterback, Josh Hoover, uh, he came in last week against Iowa State. Looked like, kind of had the deer in the headlights look. I mean, his first play from scrimmage, he fumbled the ball, uh, had an interception on his second pass attempt, almost had another interception that was dropped. So he is really, ideally, you know, he wouldn't be playing at this point in his career, redshirt freshman Uh, Finished with decent numbers, but a lot of those yardage came uh, in a meaningless drive at the end. So this TCU team, uh, they're going to run the ball more. They normally play up-tempo. They average 81.6 plays per game. They're not going to play that fast with uh, Josh Hoover being the quarterback. They're going to slow it down, try to make it more manageable, and uh, there might be some wind again. I like BYU-TCU under 53-and-a-half.
0: There you go. Three best bets to consider there from Paul Stone. Paul, this has been such a fun episode. I've really enjoyed your breakdown and analysis, especially on your process-driven approach. One more time before we get out of here, Paul, remind everybody, where can they find the work you're putting out, your Twitter handle, your X handle, any other place you want to plug just right now? Go ahead and plug everything so that people can keep, keep up with all your great college football content.
2: Well, I'll keep it short and sweet on, uh, I guess, on X now, formerly known as Twitter, my Twitter handle uh, at Paul Stone Sports. So uh, give me a follow there if you cho- uh, so choose. And then if you want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into what I do, uh, certainly go to my uh, website, paulstonesports.org.
0: Awesome. Make sure you check out all of Paul's work. Go give him a follow. Check out that website. He's got tons of great content, guys. He's been doing this for a long time, and he's had a high rate of success over that extended period of time. That's how you know what you're doing is working when you're able to hit that mark over consistent, consistently over consecutive seasons as Paul has done. So Paul, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. This was such a fun episode. This was the We Hate Your Team podcast, a proud member of the BSN Collegiate Network. And until next time, enjoy week seven of the 2023 college football season.